Anthony Darby. Chuck Hen. We are live with back with Eric Stamper. Welcome, welcome. Great. It's good to be back. If anyone is not familiar, Eric represents Mission 22, Veterans Initiative 22. Um, I first uh, was interacted to um, Eric um, in the early stages of the dispensary, and he, through an overwhelming initiative, got buy-in from almost all, you know, how many dispensaries participate? Right now, we're up to about 35 dispensaries. So almost a third of every dispensary in the state um, really having the awareness and mind, mindfulness to understand that the veterans really need and could use um, the resources of medical cannabis and, and extending that 22% discount. And we're happy to say that we've continued on to that discount. And now that we have the wellness campus, We've even extended all the veterans discounts to all of our products over there that are open to the public too. So for me, um, I think where you put your money where your mouth is, right? And if you look at our discounts, our 22% discount is our highest discount. It's one of um, the things that we feel very passionate about and understanding the challenges that um, so many men quite honestly face um, in dealing with the VA and even more sensitive to it on the Eastern shore, right? There's not a lot of VA access here on the shore specifically. Um, so just, I understand, not I shouldn't say I understand, but I'm sympathetic and empathetic to the, some of the challenges that they have and it's, it's kind of like the least we can do. So um, I'm not sure that we would have had that top of mind of awareness. So I'm not sure that discount would be in our dispensary if it wasn't for the advocacy work that you do. So just thank you very much for bringing that up to us and tell us what you've been up to, man. Well, great, Anthony. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, This is our third year we've been working together closely trying to support our veterans here in Maryland. So thank you guys at Peninsula Alternative Health for taking care of us, um, supporting us, employing us, teaching us, and uh, showing us there is a way that we can change our lives, uh, both mental and physical, and cannabis is a lifesaver. So thank you for helping us with that. Uh, so wow, we've been doing a lot of things lately. Um, over the last year, we've been working really hard, extensively continued with the Veterans Administration, uh, their PTSD and suicide prevention team. Uh, we've been integrating well with some of their research folks. Um, uh, believe it or not, folks at the VA do want to work with cannabis. They do want to talk about cannabis, and they do know that it's helping veterans. Uh, we, we're still under federal regulations that prevent that from happening. So uh, I know from the inside, uh, they're ready for us. They really are. We just got to get this descheduled. Yeah, once again, it just seemed like, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, I guess... It might sound dumb to ask, but I mean, the scheduling portion of it's probably the largest hurdle, right? It and is. After that thing falls, it's kind of like there's federal regulations open up. And like you said, there's enough people in the VA that have seen the benefits of what it can do to help the veterans that they're more than willing to kind of step in and take a look at it as an alternative. Yeah, as of late, there's been a lot of discussions between descheduling and rescheduling cannabis. Uh, I think the purview now is uh, really the, the language is descheduling. So that, that's what we want to start looking at. Uh, there's a lot of implications for taxation, uh, laws. I mean, it just goes really deep. So. Yeah, Dr. Hoffman, Mary Pat, our clinical director, one time broke down like the difference between what would happen if you just rescheduled cannabis to a Schedule Two versus descheduling. And at the highest level, I remember just feeling there was a lot of hurdles still left if we only took the step to go to Schedule Two as opposed to descheduling cannabis altogether, which is what I would be for as well. And um, I think it's 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 a two prong approach, or there's there's almost two hurdles. There's um, there's still the, the hurdle of convincing the medical care providers that this is something that's a useful tool for them. It seems like we're we're doing really well 
in that side of things. And, and I was even impressed. I remember you telling me that um, the candid feedback that they were seeking from, from veterans and saying, are you using cannabis? It's no longer going to disqualify you from everything that you're, that you're getting from us. We just need to know, hey, is this actually working? And they were interested in kind of the details. So it seems like we're making progress there. But it, it is frustrating that in Congress, still we run against both parties not really just moving the needle far enough at a federal level. And the implications of that, back to the banking, back to all of that, trickle down, and they really affect they really affect the end user, which is our patients. So um, I'm with you in, in, in advocating for that descheduling, and I'm hoping that maybe for once the cannabis industry will try to rally around um, a singular point. One thing that I'm constantly frustrated with when it comes from a lobbying effort, I know that you do a ton of lobbying, you can either sympathize or you can, you can argue against it, but typically when when big anything goes to D.C., right? Big Pharma goes to D.C. All the pharmaceutical companies, they fight 364 days a year. But on lobby day, they all come together and they have three initiatives that they, get, that they want to get passed and they hammer the congressman on those three initiatives and they get them passed and they walk away. And unfortunately, because cannabis is so un is so uh, unjustly treated there's a lot of different areas of concern that people have and i wish that we could try to maybe narrow down a couple different key tactics that could address a multitude of the issues whether it's banking whether it's home grow rights whether it's medical versus uh, adult use you know all these different fragments that break us down as as one they're looking to just get this cannabis plant it's a medicine to people you know i think these scheduling should be something that hopefully we can rally around and that's what the, the push should be so i appreciate appreciate that. Um, I know one thing, so correct me if I'm wrong, if I can ask a question, you really got your sales going and really started picking up uh, momentum when Maryland's program launched, right? This isn't something that you had executed in other states before Maryland? No, no, I'm, I'm homegrown Maryland, so uh, born in Virginia, but raised in Fells Point, you know, inside of Baltimore, so um, I left when I was 18 to go to the Navy, came back post-military and realized that you know, there's a lot of things that needed to happen, and, and you know, there's a lot of medicines that I was on that I was causing alternative problems with me, and uh, cannabis just changed my life, and that's how I got started in advocacy just, just a few short years ago. Um, I retired in 2013. I say a few short years. My God, it's been seven years already, but um, in 14 is kind of when we started this, so... Uh, we're in about three years with Veterans Initiative 22. So right that was now. still pre-program. I mean, that was certainly three years before dispensaries were open and available. So this is something that you guys have really been a pioneer of. Um, and now with the momentum in Maryland and the need in, in other states, you're going to take a more nationalistic approach, right? You're going to try to, to spread this outreach? Indeed. Thank you for bringing it up. Uh, yeah, we've been working with some uh, great folks uh, helping us with some strategic planning and some initiatives that we want to go towards the national level. I think some of the work that we've only started here in Maryland is a, is a segue to what I think what we can do across the nation. Uh, I look state by state and see programs that are in existence that you know, aren't offering benefits or incentives or opportunities for veterans. So we're honestly about three months out. Um, we're pushing really hard with a, a phone, email, um, and letter writing campaign here in Maryland to really knock out the blend of the rest of the industry. Uh, we're going to get really active and, and, and take care of that. Uh, once that happens at around the new year is we're going to start our national push. Uh, we've already got some of our other veteran organizations that are uh, privy to what we're up to and are willing to help. Um, so that's, that's how we're doing it. Have you, have you found that there's any other organizations out there in any other states like 
Veterans Initiative? Sure. Look, my God, there's there's hundreds of cannabis related veteran uh, organizations across America. And, you know, we all have some of the same concepts, the same ideas and principles, taking care of veterans, uh, rights, uh, policies and, and access, quite frankly. And so we've actually started forming a, a higher level program called the Veterans Action Council. And that started with some of our folks like uh, Balanced Veterans, um, Mission Zero Actual, and some other organizations. So we've come together and, and taken a more of a, a, you know, a stance on the federal level. And this is what we talked about already about descheduling. So we're, we're talking about uh, access to cannabis initially. There are obviously other alternatives and holistic approaches that we'll be discussing along the way, but it's uh, really a fight at the federal level. And uh, so we've had some of our veterans engaged in like some of these, like the MORAC and some of these other uh, bills that are being worked on. And uh, frankly, we haven't had great success. So I think what we're trying to streamline is all the veterans organizations coming together. Kind of the same, yeah. kind of the same narrative, right? Yeah. Strength and power. Strength, strength and, power. and numbers. Yep. numbers. And, you know, un unfortunately, you're fighting behemoths, right? And, and what it comes down to is it's almost like a bunch of villagers without necessarily a one single strategy trying to fight this big monster as opposed to coming together and trying to put your resources together and having a tighter approach. Um, I had the pleasure last year on Veterans Day, if you know, the podcast was recorded on YouTube, of sitting down with Eric, um, Ryan Milner from um, Balanced Veterans Initiative 22, which is a really great organization. If anyone's listening in PA, they have a really strong presence there. Are they outside of PA, or is it really just... Uh, mostly in PA, but they're breaching out a little bit. I mean, yeah. I know that we've, we try to help work with them here in Maryland, um, here and there, but just... Um, and then also, we still talk to Brian Fant. Um, who's, who's cool. He's got a job in the industry now, yeah, right? Sure so, um, in thanks. fact, at that time we were together, uh, allowed the introductions to get him uh, opportunities. Yeah, he's now at Vario working in their processing lab. He moved from uh, was it New Pennsylvania, I Pennsylvania, believe it was. Yeah. yeah, he came down. And uh, to take a job. So it's really neat um, to see like a success story like that. Brian's another you know, great uh, testament to holistic medicine and, and a holistic approach to wellness. Um, I saw pictures of him that it's tough to believe they're the same person. And, and he's um, become a certified yoga instructor um, and now working in the cannabis industry. Really uh, improving. Uh, it seems like, you know, his quality of life is, is a lot better from some of the stories that he talked about, you know, before when he was on so many pharmaceutical drugs. And that was when he was honestly one of the first folks to give me the insight and to really paint a picture of what it's like to be on a delivery prescription drug program when you are uh, basically, you know, unable to leave the house, you're so depressed and you're so unhappy, and then every month a bag of pills comes to your door. It was one of the, it was one of the most terrifying things that I heard. I mean, when I think about what I, what I believe and what I know about mental health, um, it seemed like the exact opposite of what I would have, I mean, I'm, I would say, we need to get you outside, and we need to get you moving, and we need to get you this, we need to get you that, and no, just stay inside in the dark house and take these white pills, and you're going to feel better. It's just like, Jesus Christ, like, what are we doing to our veterans here? And that was, that's like a common story, right? Like, that's, um, that's not something that's exclusive to, to Brian or, or Ryan or any of the other gentlemen that we met. It seemed like it was a, a pretty profound uh, I do have some good news, though. Um, I do a lot of work at the VA, talking with them directly, a lot of departments and organizations within. And my feeling is, and this is you know, just one person's feeling, um, the VA is doing a hell of a job taking care of us now. 
we've gone through a lot of transitions. We're, um, there's programs out now. We don't even have to go to the VA anymore for our health care. Um, so that's called that's the, been huge here for the rural access piece of yeah, it. Definitely. So uh, they can start finding local providers taking care of what they need. Um, another important part of uh, VA health care is something called vet centers. Uh, I don't know if you have one here in Salisbury, but where there's um, remote areas with not a lot of veteran access, um, they're forming small like clinics. These vet centers allow um, access and integration. Some of them have medical practice, mental health treatment. This is almost in line with what we're doing right here at uh, Peninsula Wellness now. Um, I know part of the plan here is to start integrating and we really coldheartedly desire to help bring our veterans in, find alternative solutions and therapy and treatment. You know, a lot of these folks don't want to go to the VA. They're afraid of the VA. They're afraid to get, get on the, uh, the pill wagon. Um, but VA has done tremendous changes. And Can I ask a question? They are looking at alternative and holistic approaches. And so opportunities, you know, we could utilize facilities like this at a strategic approach and try and find alternative solutions. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, we say the VA, right? When we, we're obviously referring to the medical care um, treatment providers for veterans. Are they composed of mostly veterans themselves? Or are most of the healthcare providers that are part of the VA program former folks, former, you know, veterans? Right. So uh, maybe not the providers themselves. Of course, there are, there are quite a few that are former military. You know, the government trains us and they want us to keep us in service. So there's a lot of providers that are veterans. Um, Mostly the employees, like the staff, are, are veterans or come from local communities, et cetera. So um, um, they're familiar, you know, we're able to talk with them and integrate with them. The reason why I ask is I know that one of the questions when they look at um, is it best for veterans to be served by veterans themselves or just your typical, typical primary care provider, I'm always trying to understand, like we say, we use a broad term like VA, like what is the experience? You walk in and most of these folks have some type of insight in terms of what you may be experiencing, or is it something that there's really a disconnect there from the people that are providing the services to the folks that are actually having the experiences? Does that make sense? Sure, it does. Um, uh, this is something I wonder, as, as uh, rural health care initiatives get launched with the VA and they're opening up to providers, to me, I you know, sometimes there's a benefit to... Um, right. see, you see this in drug treatment, right? Where some of the best counselors that actually come from addiction background themselves, right? It would make sense to me that some of the best doctors that are helping veterans with mental health care would be veterans themselves who had, had similar experiences, had sure, been traumatic experiences, yeah, things like that. Like I said, they're, they're definitely health care providers that are veterans. I don't have numbers or stats to show that, um, but I would say the majority are outside practitioners. Um, and if you think about this, if you look at what our uh, VHA hospital is, it's connected with a university, right? So most of those practitioners are students. So our dentists, our doctors are going through internships. And so you get a lot of that effort. So that's really helpful to provide that. It's, you know, from, yeah, from the non-civilian, you know, from a civilian, we, you know, we don't necessarily understand the same Veterans challenge. and active duty military make great research projects. You know, we were great at it when they were launching nuclear warheads right next to us in the desert. So we make great tools to study. Yeah. In, 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 the, in the National Healthcare Program, most of the drugs that are approved through the FDA have to go through the, the federal program, which is managed by the VA. So a lot of those drugs are already seen by the VA uh, and are already being utilized and tested.
Wow. One veterans. I did not know that either. So outside of just the general VA, there's still a lot of challenges for our veterans when they get back home and they're just trying to make the adjustment, right? So we take we, – and I'm glad – I'm really glad that um, – that it's not all doom and gloom, right? That the VA is making strides, and I'm really happy to hear that we're not here just chastising the VA, but there's some great stories, and there's really some progress being made. So I'm very, really thrilled to hear that. Um, we take the VA out of it. The, the conversations that I have with some of our patients that are struggling with PTSD and just the adjustment of back to, I was trained to do this for a living, my life was like this, and now I'm home, and I'm basically asked to be be treated completely different and I'm expected to act completely different than I was trained and um, there's there's a side effects to that right I mean there are, sure are yeah so you know when you take a young um, American male female um, at the age 18 19 and you transition them into the military um, you know we call it and humor ourselves about brainwashing right they're teaching us to be completely different people than who we are. They're putting us into an umbrella with the same level of knowledge, education, skills. And I think that's a wonderful way to do that's black and white. And you take out a lot of that gray, you know, we need people to follow orders and rules and regulations. So, uh, we are transitioned smoothly for some, it might be harder. So on the flip side, after we do four years, eight years, a whole career for that matter, uh, you've got what you've been taught since you were a teenager, how to think, how to act, and how to live. So obviously there's gonna be adjustment problems, um, issues. Um, so this transition from active duty military to civilian life for some is quite difficult. Um, and prior to the transition from active duty, um, the military has programs called um, transition assistance programs. And these programs, uh, some are about two weeks, some are a week long. They're like courses and training, and resume writing, interview skills, things like how to find a job, things like um, Veterans Administration, healthcare, education, employment. So we've, we're given a few weeks of uh, really good formal training on our way out. It's still not enough, obviously, as you know, you've gone through a whole life of a job and now you're doing something completely different. A lot of those folks stay in the military arena. You know, they get jobs like similar work that they've done. Um, some, a good portion of them become contractors under government programs. And then you get people like me who, you know, we've spent our whole career in the military. And now, 23 years later, we're out. What do we do? So, And that's, and that's where I think um, we have some opportunities to help here someplace a campus like ours where we have a community room we could do some community building I'm, I'm really impressed how well cbd and cannabis seem to help in those situations so it's just a tool like a lot of tools we have to offer but i can tell you that the testimonies that we get from veterans that come through our door that say you know um, when I'm when I'm feeling really stressed out or when I'm having a bad day, using some cannabis is a tool that I can use to help me get through that and then I'm on to the next thing and I kind of can get through it instead of maybe having a day off where I feel like I don't, can't leave the house or I can't get things accomplished. I'm able to, to get some things done and that motiv motivation and momentum kind of gets me through. Um, I think that what there needs to be more of is the same concepts of the VFWs and the American legions, which is the community building. But the first thing that I notice every time I walk into there, and it's just something I'm hypersensitive to is they're all built around a bar, right? 
And I've mentioned this before, and I think that I think that, that in some ways causes some challenges. In the same way that not every veteran is appropriate for a medical cannabis program based upon their prior medical history and based upon their prior um, habits and circumstances, you know, I think it's it's kind of crazy when you're dealing with a, maybe having a group session for folks that you know are struggling with something like PTSD or depression, and then you're going to bring them into a place where there's alcohol there, which is known to, to fuel a lot of those things. And I think using that community concept, but moving it to things like yoga, using it to things like CBD, using it around more helpful tools than things like alcohol is a, is a way better process for our veterans to move to. And it's something that I feel very strongly about and that I'm committed to doing here in Salisbury. And, um, and that's why one of the reasons we have you down today is because we need advocates like you to help the community building in these groups so that folks like me that have space and that are willing to open our doors and have this, this, um, this meeting space um, can offer it because there's always sometimes a disconnect between us and these folks that, that feel disenfranchised, right? That, that feel like they're outsiders. They don't necessarily feel like they have that the sense of belonging. Right on, and you bring up some very uh critical topics and i'm happy to say that's what phase two of vi 22 is doing right now i'm coming down here today so where am i going after i leave here i'm going to your local vfw i'm going to your local dav i'm going to your local american legion and all the other resources around that are veteran centric um, so phase two allows us that integration that we just talked about um, so there are resolutions there are policies driven from higher authority so for example the VFW has their own resolution for cannabis. So all of the high-level uh, veteran nonprofit resources, including AMVETS uh, with Teresa Jackson, um, are working really hard um, to incorporate cannabis into the veterans' way of living. Most of this right now is coming from a research perspective, not a, more of a holistic. Um, you know, we still got a few years to go with that. Uh, we are not getting a lot of active traction from the legions, VFWs, when we go and talk about this. I've been to about five or six here in Maryland talking about specifically what you said, trying to get our veterans off the bar stool, right? And so we know about addictive personalities. We know the, let's say there are benefits to alcohol too, because it helps us open our mind, relax our spirits. It's about using too much and about things in moderation. So um, I won't deny alcohol, um, has benefit for some, it does. Sure, absolutely. But I, as a recovering alcoholic myself, uh, I know what would have happened if I ever picked up again. And so when I go to these locations where we have a lot of veterans uh, trying to share the same stories, build that team and camaraderie, you know, war stories, watch sports, they're all drinking. And so you're right, I feel kind of pushed out. So I've started engaging the conversations with some of the leadership, the, the commanders of these organizations, really trying to figure out if they're gonna to wanna to allow us to consume cannabis out back at the smoke pit, or what other options do we have? So uh, there are a few veterans here in Maryland, like Tommy Lyons, for example, who's working close with his veteran organizations as well. We're trying to streamline how we're doing this. And so the only way to do it is start knocking on doors, start making phone calls, and that's it's, how we do it. It's the same way we got cannabis approved, right? Like it's, yeah. it's something that, um, one of the, the things that I'm really proud of, maybe more so than almost anything that we've been able to accomplish, is when you ask the leadership in Salisbury, Maryland, about cannabis, they respect us. And they respect us 
in a way that they didn't five years ago or four years ago or three years ago. It's just been a constant grind of adding believers and doing what we said we were going to do and building that relationship. You're helping and, to change the stigma. And helping to change the stigma. And I, and, I, and I believe that this is the way that it's done. I don't necessarily think it's done by screaming and yelling. I don't necessarily think it's done... Um, by being overly passive, I think that there's a moderation between using facts and and building credibility that you are who you say you are, and eventually like it, it builds out. And I, I think that that same credibility that needs to be lended into these organizations. And I can imagine the challenge, and I can also be mindful of their perspective of of a lot of them don't have the facts around cannabis. A lot of them, if they came in a strong military background, their only vision of cannabis is it was something that was tested for as an illegal substance that they were able to take. And, and their mindset, to your point, if they're in those organizations, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, they lean older, correct? Yeah, right. Uh, usually, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of trends looking at analysis of veterans and the veteran organizations and their following in crowds. They're starting to dwindle. The numbers aren't there. There's, so there seems to be, you know, uh, pre-Vietnam and post-Vietnam philosophy about, you know, what are our veterans doing? I don't see a lot of our younger veterans like myself, you know, around a lot of these facilities and locations. Um, and so it's, it's about they're doing the same thing. They're trying to figure out how to engage and tackle our, our younger veterans, just like we're trying to figure out where do we fit in. And, and maybe that's like the storm that we need. Like maybe it's, it's fine to a point now where, um, like everything, necessity can drive some of these changes. And if, if I'm some sitting someone at the VFW, let's say I'm on the development team and I'm looking at 19 to 35-year-old demographics dwindling and how am I going to reach these people? And someone's going to finally say, let them use cannabis. Don't put alcohol in their face because younger people are drinking less and less. The younger people are choosing cannabis over alcohol. Give them more options and don't necessarily make it feel like it's the 1970s bowling alley sure. approach. And you'll probably get some more younger vets and participate, right? I that mean, it's true. Um, but if those numbers didn't go down, if, if you know what they were doing was actually working and their recruiting was working better, it would be tough to have these, these conversations. So the I think other, the other part the of that is, is a little. Uh, positions of authority in a lot of these organizations. Usually when you become like the commander, you start taking on some of these more lofty roles um, there for a long time. And so um, some of the younger crowds aren't able to grasp and start engaging at some of these higher levels. So that's, yeah. that's part of that. It seems like a common narrative. I mean, what we see yeah. across the board. So now that you guys are engaging um, it's kind of this phase two is engaging with dispensaries like me besides Maryland are there certain priority states you're going after or is it more of just a, a, trying to address all 50 states and getting the feedback of who needs you guys where sure so that, that's what we're doing right now we're looking at the, creating a strategic plan and how we want to do this so you know coming from Maryland we're using Maryland as a litmus test to see what is the best way to do business um, and things like well we have the compassion care program I mean, that, that could be something we could be looking at versus, you know, trying to get everybody on a 22% program incentive, but looking at something, things that are much greater and, you know, from a, a law and legal standpoint and policy standpoint. Um, so, for example, the Compassion Care Program, the Vizika Raman Act, allows veterans and patients on Medicaid um, to gain um, discounts on medicine. Our um, identification and credentialing is now free as of October 1st. So there's things like that that we could be engaging as well as the incentive programs at dispensaries. Yeah, the Compassionate um, Care Fund from Maryland is something that 
has seemed to have gone by the wayside. I mean, I, I don't, and I don't even see a ton of traction. If, if you, is there? It, it just went into effect October 1st. They don't have a full developed. Is it? Fu- it's not funded though yet, though. Exactly. So yeah. I know the commission. Um, oh darn! It's been a while, but they were going to put in twenty-five percent of all the revenue from licensing fees, caregiver cards, and for patient cards. Um, they're putting twenty-five percent of that into the compassion care program. Okay. Up, up to twenty-five percent. <laughs> Man, that up to is such an important yeah. word. <laughs> I, actually, I asked for twenty-two percent for veterans. Is what I asked. Them, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad we're making some progress there because that was something that was written in the, the law in 2017, and we haven't really seen a ton of traction yeah. in house. We created a can of care fund. Where we try to have a we have a program for folks that are in the greatest of needs, but it's nowhere near enough to address the. The, the commission says they need five million dollars in that pot of money of uh, so I asked them like where did they come up with some of these figures and you know they've done their homework uh, what we've seen is a need for 10 million dollars the commission doesn't even know how many veterans are in the medical cannabis program right so yeah there's no way for them to know how can you tell us what we need and you can't tell us how many we are um, so they really need to and, look and, at- and much of unpopular belief you know we have we have a ton of veterans that frequent our facility. We have a ton of former first responders that frequent our facility. This isn't. This is no longer the Cheech and Chong's head shop where everyone that comes in's got long hair and a tie dye shirt on. Sure, sure. And, and this and this is a uh, this is a, a challenge uh, for you, Anthony, and for all the dispensaries to help our veterans out by maybe providing the commission some feedback, like let them know, hey, we've provided X amount of discounts to veterans. Now, how does that equate into your compassion care program? Yeah, and I think they'll start seeing some different numbers at that level and realize they need to fix their program and look for additional revenue. That also speaks to like, you know, these things don't happen overnight, right? You guys have put a tremendous amount of effort so far into the Vestrums Initiative 22, but there's a lot more work to be done. And just knowing that the Compassionate Care Fund's been out there in the state for a couple of years, yet they still don't know how to fund it, how it's going to be enacted. It's still not a viable program. As a dispensary owner, I don't know how to advocate for you to get paid back from offering the discounts. That's what that fund is for. It's not for us. It's for you to get it back from the state. Is that how it works? The way it's supposed to work. But as a dispensary owner, we have no clue. That's like the crazy. (laughs) I don't want many to know that. They might drop our discounts and say they don't care about veterans anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're... It's the, that's the muddy waters of the cannabis industry, though, right? From, like, no matter what it is that you're fighting, there's always, you know, things take exponentially longer than you ever think they would. You need way more effort. You need way more advocacy on everything. It's um, interesting. Um, so what if, uh, where, where's the easiest way for folks to, to find you? What are some ways, if I am listening to this right now and I live in Maryland, let's talk about how um, you can help facilitate some action. So what can I do besides reaching out to you? And if it is just reaching out to you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. So uh, uh, with some support with our strategic plan, we've got a, a wonderful website now, www.veteransinitiative22.com. Um, you can find us at info at veteransinitiative22.com email. Uh, you can reach out to us at 410-660-3198 if you need direct support 24 hours a day. That's what we're there for, helping our veterans. Um, you know, mental health, physical, it doesn't matter. We're here to support. Um, 
we're on Facebook and we're getting a presence on Instagram. So that's kind of where we're at. So Veterans Initiative 22, you can so, find us. So I've mentioned, you know, a couple of times that this is my initiative to really get us kickstarted here at Peninsula and get these veterans groups going. We have our first um, real event happening on Veterans Day. I can't thank you enough for coming back down in, um, from Baltimore to join us on that day. We have some really cool things lined up, uh, pop up with you as well. <clears throat> so for you know for us, uh, the November is really going to be a focus around veterans and really focusing around um, how we can get this initiative that we have kind of dreamed up, launched, and, and in the work. So I hope that we have um, our event on the 11th, and then quickly after that, sometime in December, we're starting a monthly group meeting and, and facilitating that. So I'm really excited uh, for you to come down for that. Um, is there anything else coming up where people can check you out? Is there anything else you want to plug before we sign off today? Well, you know, November is a big month for Veterans Day, and that's honoring our our, our veterans, you know, who have sacrificed service and time to our government. Um, and so I know a lot of the industry is doing great things for our veterans, and, and we want to thank you guys for taking care of our veterans to that regard. And we look forward to being down here on the 11th with you. Um, our goal is to bring as many veterans into the light as we can. Uh, we did have some plans coming up uh, November 22nd. We really were shooting for a, a really big Veteran Appreciation Day. Um, we were going to be, we are right now still uh, going to be airing unprescribed Steve Elmore's um, Allegiance films about PTSD and cannabis. Um, we talked earlier about COVID numbers. They're starting to go up again in Maryland and across the nation. So we're kind of looking at that to see if it's something that we're yeah, going to be able to Yeah, we picked the heck of a time to get a community room where we're trying yeah. to facilitate yeah. the gathering. So yeah. it's a challenge, right? It is and, a challenge. And honestly, I mean, let's just be honest, that's putting even more of a stress on, on folks that feel disenfranchised and, and don't even have places to go if they wanted to. There's less and less opportunities for them to participate in that human contact, yeah. that hand-to-hand, -hand, being able to shake somebody's hand or at least give them an elbow. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to jump in. No, but please. So, right, you know, during these COVID times, we're in eight months, nine months of it so far, the VA has seen an increase in veteran suicide. You know, we're still maintaining around 20, you know, uh, suicides per their statistics. It's much higher than that. But uh, so they are start, starting to see an increase now. And this is where it's important for the camaraderie, the teamwork, and for us to engage each other and bring us out of the basements and the attics and from hiding in the rooms and yeah, I mean, this the fact the that community and, and sharing and, uh, you know, that's part of it. You know, you can't keep it all to yourself. We've got a lot of stresses that, you know, veterans, not just veterans, but everybody goes through in times. And when we're confined and cramped in, uh, that starts wearing on our mental health. So, you know, like me, I'm at, I'm at, you know, our veteran virtual group every Friday. It's a group of vets and we all talk cannabis and everybody's welcome to come to that. Um, you know, I do my virtual uh, health care with my VA doctors. And so it's so critical to maintain mental health treatment and maintain friends and family, especially in these times. Yeah, we'll be, um, we'll be streaming and recording like the yoga class that we'll do and everything that we're trying to do in the community room to at least give that offering at home so people can feel like they're participating and they can still digest the same content without having to come in here. But, um, you know, maintaining the relationship with the mental health providers and maintaining that health and just trying to adapt to a virtual meeting instead of the face-to-face. -face. And sometimes it's easier said than done, but you can't stop trying, right? I mean, it's the new, the new normal. 
Eric, I really appreciate when you come down. I really appreciate um, everything that you do for veterans, and I'm really excited to see hopefully next year we have you back down where you guys have, have, have spread out to in a national presence and uh, what we've accomplished here on the campus together. So thank you so much. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Eric.